Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had the one and only Mr. Maurice Chevalier, the fifth from Anchor Distilling. It was an amazing night. Maurice likes to come in and blow our minds every year. This is like our fifth annual time. We do this end of the year, super mind-blowing tasting. Maurice brings in all his brands. It is absolutely a, a night you'll never forget. There actually are parts that I don't remember from this, but at any rate, we, we tried the Pike Creek 10-year. It was crazy. The Lot 40. We tried Old Potrero, the Old Potrero cask finish, the J.H. Cutter, their new rye whiskey, Mika from the barrel, awesome Japanese whiskey, the Dingle Irish whiskey, new to me, Old Portrayal Hoteling's 11-year, totally mind-blowing, and then Maurice totally blew our minds with a couple infinity bottles, blends of the whiskey he's been collecting in 10 years in the whiskey business. Totally next-level stuff, folks. Binge your mind. Be sure to tell your friends about the podcast. Subscribe to us on YouTube. And please enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means, you know, no when to say when. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming out for Whiskey Society on this wonderful Monday, our last Monday of the year. Well, just, I mean, there's more Mondays than the rest of the year. Just for Whiskey Society. For the last five years, I think it's five years now, isn't that right? Yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're aging well, my friend. I think you're doing all right. I'm pickled. Ah! <laughs> Some of the best pickle yeah, juice exactly. in the world. <laughs> but uh, Mr. Maurice Chevier is in the house from Hotelings up in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Hi, and so... Five years ago, we started a tradition. We kind of like do this end of the year blowout and Maurice brings in his his wonderful line of whiskeys, which is all the stuff from Anchor Distilling up in San Francisco, the Old Potrero line, which is legendary, the Cavalon, which is now totally blowing people's minds, the Nika stuff, which you know, Japanese whiskey, they're like one of the two big boys. In fact, outsell Suntory now in Japan. Um, <laughs> As you're doing, right? Uh, but then, then the, the real thing that gets crazy at the end of the year whenever Maurice comes in the house is he brings What's these. That? What's this? Whoa. Whoa, like, what is this? It's a bottle with no label. And if you're a whiskey drinker, I strongly advise anytime you see a bottle with no label, Go for it. <laughs> Just go for it. It's like, <laughs> these are, generally speaking, the best whiskeys you're ever going to... <laughs> <laughs> these are the best whiskeys you're ever going to have. Um, so what Maurice does, and this is something that a lot of collectors do, is that when he gets down to the end of a bottle, he'll uh, pour the dregs into another bottle and create this kind of infinity, infinity bottling. Is, what the popular thing to say now, but yeah. you were doing it before there was anyone who was calling it an infinity bottle. I think that's Thanos or something that brought that <laughs> yeah. um, But we'll get to that, but that's yeah. the rare treat we're gonna get. If you guys didn't see what we're looking at here tonight, I hope you brought some, uh, you know, your, 
Yeah, we, we have enough glass, I think. We're going to have to, we've got a lot of whiskey to explore tonight. And it's going to be a joyful exploration. Um, so let's give it up for Mr. Marie Chevalier, the fourth from Hotelings. Thank you, Marie. Thank you, everybody. Um, no, because I want to. I want to earn your business, not lose it. So I will not sing. So I, I trust your judgment. I don't want you to sing if you're not feeling it. Awesome. So we're gonna do Pike Creek first. We just, uh, we meaning Hodling and Co. We just partnered with uh, the Northern Border Collection, uh, part of Corby. So it's a whiskey that comes out of the Hiram, Hiram Walker Distillery, and it's our first uh, first Canadian whiskey. So we've got two that we're gonna show. The first is gonna be Pike Creek. So Pike Creek is slow and mellow. It's gonna be the, the, the most easily accessible whiskey we're gonna have. It is, for lack of a better term, uh, the Canadian bourbon. It's 99% corn and 1% unmalted rye, just to keep it from getting too cloying. Uh, it's 10 years old, and then it's finished for 90 to 100 days, not exceeding 100 days, um, and dark, rum barrels oh wow yeah and rum barrels that they're making rum up in canada or where are they getting no the rum from? it's from a place in south america that rhymes with gianna <laughs> and it's known for sugar that rhymes with so I think that excludes my trademark infringement. So it, this is like a beer and a shot. Uh, so look for Pike Creek. They're doing really cool stuff. Uh, 10 years old. Uh, it's one of the few marks that's going to have an H statement on it. What we're going to do next is Lot 40. That's 100% unmalted rye. That is the youngest is four, but it's a conglomeration of different ages. They don't want to get stuck into a specific age range because it is aged, both Pike Creek and Lot 40 are aged in Pike Creek, uh, Ontario. So it's right on um, the Great Lakes. So they get all kind of crazy um, atmospheric pressure and all that stuff, so all the high humidity. And if you go to the tour, which I would, if you take a day trip, a couple of days to Detroit, Detroit was never on my bucket list. It was on another list that rhymed with bucket, but... Um, <laughs> Go to Detroit. I love what's going on right there because it is, it is an example of American ingenuity, uh, creative destruction. Um, to see some of the, the cool buildings that were going to be torn down, and they're like, you can't tear that down. Like, Henry Ford built that, and it's really coming together. So mm -hmm. go to Detroit while the getting's good because five years from now, it's going to be all hipstered out. Like, <laughs> get, get there now to see what America's all about. This is the true America. Now, turn the TV off and head Midwest and uh, take a tour. Uh, if you need any information for that, just um, see me at the end of the debauchery and uh, we'll get you set up, so. Yeah, so where the Hiram Walker Distillery is, is in Windsor. And if you know geographically uh, around, Detroit is actually north of Windsor. It's, it's like- It's crazy. It's funny, it's yeah. this little, Canada actually has this little peninsula that runs underneath Detroit. So to get into Canada, you actually go south from Detroit. And it was a, a famous bootlegger crossing because it was a, a, a thin spot in the river. When Prohibition hit, the Detroit was just running. That's where Al Capone got his name, was running whiskey in from Canada. They actually, from Hiram Walker's office building, 
there's an underground cave that was big enough to pull a wagon through with a burrow, and they would go around under. But during the night, they would run boats across because it, it's a really, really thin area of the river. So it was one of the easiest places to bring whiskey into America during Prohibition. Yeah, and what, what's interesting is you you would think that uh, American Prohibition was a boom time for Canadian whiskey. It actually almost killed uh, Canadian whiskey. Uh, it was too much, I mean, if you got caught, uh, severe punishment, and it just wasn't economical, right? As opposed to just, um, you know, taking it from the, you know, Blue Mountains, you know, across the, across the county lines. Uh, one of the things that really built the industry, actually, was uh, the American Revolution was the start. So unlike the United States, there was some Scotch-Irish influence uh, in Canada at the time. But actually, the big influence was actually from, um, from Northern Europe. So when you had uh, people from Germany and Holland, thank you very much, they really gave uh, the Canadian rye its style. So unlike what we consider rye, rye just describes the style of Canadian whiskey. So you would have uh, these millers that would be you know, from Germany or Poland. They would mill, bake bread, and you had such an excess of flour and wheat and barley that what do you do? Do you just sit there and watch it go, go bad or do you make it stay? So you, you distilled it. So a lot of the distilleries, the main distilleries in Canada actually started out as uh, flour mills and grain mills. And uh, they built a still on the side to, so basically all their tillings and, and leftover, they would just distill it and make it uh, into low wines. Uh, they started the rectifi uh, rectification process, which basically started out with just layers of stone and then charcoal. They were well ahead of well, you know, our industry. Again, you have a little bit of Scotch-Irish influence, but uh, the whole category of rye came from these millers where you would have somebody from from Poland or Germany saying, add a little uh, rye, a little shovel of rye in the mash bill, and that gave it a uh, little extra character to it. So let's try this one out. So mostly corn. So stick your nose let's in go. that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. Do you get that corn body to this? But 10 years in a barrel, do you know what the proof it goes into the barrel at? Um, I do. Uh, I will give it to you. I don't have Fact, fun facts and figures, hit me up after, because I'm on fumes right now for the holidays, but I do have it, I actually have it written down in my book there. So, but 10 years in a barrel is gonna, no matter what kind of spirit you put in there, is gonna have a good amount of extraction. It's gonna get some of those buttery notes from the oak. But look for the body of corn. When you have such a high corn uh, mash bill, it's a good opportunity to kind of wrap your head around what kind of the basis of American whiskey is, which is for the most part when we talk bourbon, is corn. So try to identify that body, that, that kind of buttery essence that is that corn-based mash bill. Tap some over your tongue. What are you guys getting? Tortilla chips. Tortilla chips. Toffee. Nice. Okay. All right. Butterscotch. Butterscotch. Good. Make Tons what are you of butterscotch. I mean butterscotch. Maple. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Canada, I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bacon, Canadian bacon. She's <laughs> right on. Yeah, tap it over your tongue. That's a beautiful little whiskey there. Yeah, quite affordable. I got the prices for uh, most of these. This is about this well under thirty bucks. About twenty six, twenty seven. Wow, that's great. So Pike Creek, very affordable, easy sipping Canadian whiskey. Ninety nine percent corn, one percent. 
unmalted unmalted barley. unmalted barley. It's good. Unmalted rye. Unmalted rye. Unmalted rye. But they don't use they don't use any barley in there. Are they adding enzymes? You know how like they get it to ferment if it's just all all corn? How do they get that? They must be adding some kind of like uh, enzymes. They mm -hmm. start. So uh, who I'd love to have here at next year, hopefully next year, is uh, Dr. Don Livermore. So he's the brainchild of both Lot 40 and Pike Creek. Right, right. Also, uh, we're gonna have it hopefully about April, April, May. We're gonna have a new expression called Guterham and Warts. So Guterham and Warts is the four grain expression. And Guterham, Guterham and Warts, I'm gonna slow down when I say it. Uh, it's in Toronto. It's a uh, dis, uh, defunct distillery, closed, I believe, in 84, 1984, 85. But it's, uh, it's still there, and they built a whole a complex uh, tourist attraction there. Um, they're part of, that That was one of the, uh, Guterham and Warts are one of the two whiskey giants uh, of Canada. But they, uh, that's where you get the whole history of taking, we call it like the tailings and the excess um, uh, grains, and they would make uh, low wine whiskey out of that using uh, flour, corn, uh, rye, and barley. And so now Stephanie's going to come around with the lot 40. And this is another from uh, Dr. Don, the, the doctor of Canadian doctor, whiskey. Yep. Um, she's going to come around and pour a little bit. So clear that first one out, sip it, or pour it aside for now. But we're going to compare it because this is, well, this actually, the, the second one will be comparable to the third one. She started pouring the third, but we're going to back it up. Yeah. She's going to come around with this Lot 40. So tell us, what's the Lot 40 about, Maurice? Okay, so Lot 40 was named after, uh, the, I believe it would be the great-grandfather of one of the employees uh, at Hiram Walker. And it was the lot, the plot of land where the distillery was. Actually, on the bottle, if you look closely, the, the diagram on the bottle is the original recipe of Lot 40. So what Dr. Don did is this new expression is 100% unmalted rye. And I wanted to bring this to tonight for you guys to try, because I thought it was a cool thing. It just kind of hit me one day like, wow, now we've got a 100% unmalted rye, and then we have Old Petrero, 100% malted rye. So you're gonna see both ends of the rye shelf, and there's no, you can't get away from it. You gotta, you gotta pick one. You can't tell, you can't tell me you don't like either of them. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> pick one. So, uh, but you're really gonna see a completely different mouthfeel on it. Um, Lot 40 is both pot distilled and column distilled. And what he wants to do is get, uh, I'm gonna butcher the term, the the lignans. That those are your, your high citrus apple. What I get on this, and I really try to refrain from suggesting different fruits or spices because the power of suggestion is really strong. But on this, I really get green apple, crisp green apple. So on a hot day, stressful day, when I get home, Lot 40 is kind of my go-to as far as kind of like a uh, aperitif rye. <laughs> Whereas uh, Old Petrero is going to be more like this type of season, cold weather, holidays, you get a little, yeah. that's more like the jazzy, bluesy. So. It's a rye for, we have a rye for all seasons. So Stephanie's coming around with the Lot 40. What you might want to do is because the next mark, we will get into that uh, malted rye expression. Save a little of this because the next pour, it'll be really interesting to compare these directly side by side. So yeah, don't drink all this. But we have a lot of whiskey to get through tonight, so pace yourselves, all right? I didn't bring my wheelbarrow tonight, all right? So.
And that's a good, if I can just make a quick transition. Um, two things out of all this whiskey, two things I want to express to you that I want to make sure you don't leave this room without knowing. N number one, I am a very, very blessed man. Okay? I'll just know that. If you know anything about me, very, very blessed. Point number two, don't be stupid. I'm blessed and I stayed blessed because I've known how to moderate this. <laughs> Guys, pace ourselves. Yeah. We love doing just going balls out at the end of the year, just baby sips. We're all here to have fun. Please tell me you're going to Uber or you have a designated driver. Uh, doesn't, we're all, it's all shits and giggles if somebody gets hurt. Okay. So. Happy holidays on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cheers to you. Happy holidays, everyone. So stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth, tap some over your tongue, and tell me what you're experiencing. Share your opinion here. It's safe. Bananas Foster. Bananas, bananas? Foster. Wet leather. Okay, I like that. What? Oh, miso then. Kind of like miso paste? Natto, similar? Not nearly as, no, but I love it, but it's more, it's more, um, it's more pungent than miso. Yeah. Right on. It tastes spicier than the last one. Uh-huh, okay, yeah, okay, so that's that higher content of rye. So what we, what was the percentage on the rye? Lot 40? Yeah. 100%. 100% rye. Yeah. So again, that means that they're probably going to have to add enzymes in there. But he's really going for something it's yeah. a completely different expression from the pike so creek. going back to pike creek we added just one percent uh just stylistically but also just to add a little bit of rye because otherwise if you got all that corn and then put that in dark rum barrels from a central american country that rhymes with hyana <laughs> uh it's gonna be it's gonna be too much of a good thing so you want to it's just a little bright note right on what are you guys getting as you tap it over your tongue stephanie you you try this one? I lost my glasses. Oh, no! <laughs> it's a party. Hold on. All right. Yeah, there's one for you. There you go. Sip on that. Mick, what are you getting on this one, buddy? I mean, black pepper. Black pepper. Yeah. It's that spicy rye. Yeah, and there's like a certain a green note. I get that like a little bit of that sour apple in there. All of you grammars out there, Instagrammers, please follow Dr. Don. I think it's uh, Don. Uh, I gotta pick it up. CDN uh, Whiskey Doc. CDN Whiskey Doc. Uh, he will have under under his Instagram. He'll have uh, images and um, a site to connect to his uh, his whiskey wheel, and it show he breaks down all of the uh, the different notes from the distillation process uh, of the whiskey. So for lot 40, you can see right that little sweet spot he wants to get to for Pike Creek. But it's uh, he kind of reinvented the uh, the whiskey wheel, the tasting wheels, because they, they get a little subjective. But he's like, no, this is exactly the scientific thing that we're, we're going for. And on when that, you so. study different methods of whiskey making, you'll find that the Canadian method is really, really different. Most similar probably to the Japanese style. Like they really get specific with the way they blend. They make separate batches of single grains. So they'll make just a big, huge batch of corn whiskey, just a big, huge batch of rye whiskey, and then blend them, age them separately, and then blend them before bottling, or sometimes blend them, rest them again before bottling. But it's really, really different than the way we make whiskey in America, where we throw a bunch of different grain into the ferment and brew it all, and then distill it all together. In Canada, they separate everything out, so they have a lot of control over the different kind of flavor profiles that they want to create. 
So step is going to come around with. Now we're getting into the old Potrero world here. Yep. And this is malted rye. So can you explain the difference between unmalted rye and malted rye? So malted rye, you're going to get. Uh, the story I got is uh, Bruce Joseph, the distiller, when they were uh, working on this, uh, they first started in 93. Uh, um, I believe they were going back and forth at different malting processes. So maltings is going to give you a different uh, flavor profile and mouthfeel on it. And they kept upping the ante as far as the malting of the, of the rye. So the, that's like a single malt. That's basically when you make the, the grain germinate and then you kill that. So uh, you have enough sugar, you, you convert that to starch, and then the yeast converts that to alcohol. So 100% malted rye is going way completely on the other end of the, of the palate. We were kind of the first to do that. And also the first to do uh, double pot still since prohibition. That's what we're very uh, proud of. Um, when you taste Opetrero, you're going to get, again, the other end of the palate, uh, that malting, that 100% malting, you're going you're gonna to get that like a, like a malt shake. It's going to be sweet, a uh, little, you're going to have some, some cloying aspects to it. It's going to be malty. It's really going to coat, coat your mouth, and that's because you've got the addition of malt and sugars and, and, and esters during the malting process on it. Um, he says, I think the uh, exact hours, but we do a longer fermentation process to assist in that malting. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if he's using any specific enzymes to, to kickstart it. Usually you don't but, have to, if you're using that malted rye, if you're malting the rye, that brings a lot of enzymes because you've, you've reawakened the seed. You no longer have a dormant seed. By sprouting it, by germinating it, you get all those live enzymes inherent within the grain itself. So very, very different though. For me, like often, the malted rye brings bigger, instead of those kind of like mintier or nuttier notes, they Chewier, get bigger yeah. like chocolatey notes. It's a richer flavor that you get from that So that those spicy rye. spearmint notes, that's all up in lot 40. Yeah. And then uh, Opatrero, I get, I don't really get mint at all. I get more of those nougat caramel notes, like they're just chewy, right? So stick your nose in that glass. And if you have a little bit of that uh, lot 40 left over, nose them side by side and see if you can detect the differences. And share your opinion. There's no wrong answers here. Caramel apple, okay. What are you guys getting? It smells like cookie dough. Cookie dough, yeah. all right. Oh, yeah, that smells so good. It's just... I'm gaining weight from you in my in my class here. Got maple, cookie dough. <laughs> Give me a sweet tooth. And that long fermentation, that longer fermentation, it brings a, a, a variance of, of flavor. So the longer that yeast has to live, the more different kind of stages it's going to go through in its life, which means different variances in the flavor profile of the fermentation. So it'll it'll create different flavors from the beginning of its lifespan the to the nose. end. And the longer it goes, the more variance, obviously. You guys are intimidating me. <laughs> I get whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, too. It's OK. There's no wrong answers. Um, so the straight rye expression from Old Betrayal, what's the proof on this one? Uh, it's 90, we brought it down. Okay, because I remember I thought it used to be hotter. Used to be way, yeah. We, um, the straight rye, and especially the 18th century, so 18th century is a toasted 
barrel. This is a uh, uh, this is toasted. 18th century is lightly toasted, so you're gonna get more resiny notes because you don't have that much carbon. Uh, so you're getting more of that kind of that resin from from the wood. Mm -hmm. That was at almost like cast strength. It was like ridiculous. Awesome stuff. Yeah, I mean, legendary. But uh, yeah, we brought that down just to be more responsible and actually have have more to more to sell. So yeah, <laughs> stretch it out, stretch it out. So amazing stuff. The old Petrero straight rye. I think it's great because it's it's reminiscent of what I imagine the old world style would have been a little bit more like. That was the whole concept uh, because you weren't basically you were putting the whiskey in a barrel to transport. Uh, you weren't sitting there trying to age it. That didn't make any sense. So, yeah, very not over, Irish at all. No, absolutely yeah. not. So, um, but over time, depending on where that barrel was going and how long it was in that barrel, I mean, at some point you're gonna go, wow, this is this actually tastes smoother than the stuff I'm actually been drinking. <laughs> and then over time we developed the whole thing about the different uh, levels of char and the whole wood management program mm -hmm. for whiskey, so. And any smaller barrels involved in the Old Petrero? No, standard size. Okay, uh, all 53-gallon barrels yeah. then. And then are you guys using, uh, is it, it's a hybrid still that you guys are using up there? Yeah, it's a Holstein okay. still that was built to our specs, but so we've been a, using that from So it's a pot still with, a, with a, so a column still kind of attached to the top Yeah, it's of like it. a Frankenstein, so it's pot still, and then you've got the different columns up there. Uh, I don't know exactly how many, it's about like eight plates. Right um, on, yeah. right on. And that's... That's Bruce, who we had down in this last year. Yeah, he was year. here not too long ago. Right on. All right, Stephanie, what do you have for us next, my love? Uh, the Casting. Woo! Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, the night is young. Pace yourselves. Drink your water. Drink your water. I was up in Northern Cal last week and uh, had a um, kind of an off-site meeting. And then the uh, marketing team, we had a, uh, took a day, we were up in Napa and looked at the bars, kind of like this kind of look and feel, kind of old timey. And, uh, oh, we got Opatrero. So we all got a round of Opatrero and we're like, this tastes different. It's good, but it tastes different. And we looked at the, the label and it was a, uh, like our first incarnation of doing the cast finishes and it was a Cabernet uh, Sauvignon finish. So good. So we're sitting there like, well, we're all in marketing. How about we bring this back, right? So uh, going forward, look for this to, for us to do more of this. We, we're uh, currently cooking a sherry finish that should be ready next year. Um, but look, and by cooking, he means aging. Aging, aging. yeah, exactly, yeah. There's um, no whiskey oven. No, exactly, not yet, not yet. Um, but it's like, I mean, just do the math. We're based up in San Francisco. That's our identity. Uh, what else do they do up in Northern California? Oh, they make a lot of wine. Can't tell me that we can't like have a just an amazing Cap Franc mm -hmm. or uh, Syrah or Chardonnay. So we're going to be looking into uh, expanding our cast finishes because we can and we should. We should be continuing to to innovate. And it really it really defines a, a kind of quintessentially California whiskey at that Absolutely. point because you're like making it right here in California, but also using the barrels that are kind of popular here in California. Absolutely. So uh, the one coming around, this is a port finish. Where, where are you guys getting your port? And don't tell me Portugal. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce didn't tell you last month, he didn't tell me, so. 
<laughs> I think he that was so it. funny. That flew right over your head when you said that. Like, oh yeah, okay. So, wait. hey, wait a minute. <laughs> wow, wow. Does everyone have the uh, cast finish in their hand now? Oh, Stephanie's. She's still. It's all right, Stephanie. You're killing it. You're doing great. Oh, they better. They best not be getting surly during holiday time here. Keep it nice. Keep it kind. All right, so Stephanie's almost all the way around the room. You yeah, guys, you this, already have it. Yeah, go ahead, Maurice. Yeah, on this, I would also encourage you maybe just take a little pinky drop of water, and that'll definitely open it up as well. But I would suggest just try it as it is first, and then yeah, maybe add first. a drop. And be very specific, because this is a tiny amount of whiskey, so one drop of water is going to be hugely different than two drops of water. And you don't want to miss that experience. You can keep adding single drops of water and see how it'll really open up and change a lot, but you want to have every step on that journey. You don't want to jump, jump over anything. So what are you guys getting as you stick your nose in that glass? Sour apple candy. S sour apple candy? Red Hots. Red Hots. Definitely, yeah. All right. Wow. I'm getting still there's this beautiful chocolatey note for me on here. I'm getting like a caramel and milk chocolate thing happening on the, just on my nose. So now tap whatever you're talking and allow your mind to be changed. See how your experience changes, you know, from your nose to your mouth. Mm. It really is amazing the spice from a port finish. Mm. You would think it would be toning that that part of it down. Mm. Wow. But I think Red Hots was the great because you got the sweet and the spice, right? Yeah. That is amazing. I've never had this one. Wow, that's that's very this is a beautiful holiday whiskey. So I think this is one for if you're going to is this kind of hard to find though? What's the allocation on this? No, so this was this is allocated, but we actually still have stock of this. Yeah, but anytime you go to your if you go shop at your mom pop liquor store. Usually, if you ask them to buy a bottle for you, they'll do it, you know, because if they don't sell it to you, they'll probably sell it to somebody else. But this is something definitely to ask for. Um, and these guys are still expanding their footprint. Uh, I mean, Hodlings as a brand, they're still getting their word out there. I mean, you've been working for the company for how long now? Uh, nine years yeah, last month. Yeah, almost 10 know. years. So it's it's been a long road, and you're still just getting out there. So help get that California that love out there by asking for it at your local liquor store. We're going to help you out right yeah, now, Maurice. Awesome. Uh, so that cast finish, amazing. Great, Great holiday whiskey. What does that run a bottle? So cast finish, uh, the normally it's a, you're, you'll see like suggest a retail like $99.99. But since it's allocated, it's, you may get it like at a K&L, but it'll be like from there to like $129 because it's a small release. Wow. Some exquisite juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, about, how about the straight rice? Straight rice about 69. Yeah, mm -hmm. 65 to 69.99. Okay, so now we're gonna get into what you guys just launched. That's what Bruce Joseph was in the house for this yeah. last year was to launch this JH Cutter, which is your new Hodling's uh, more of like an entry level expression. Am I wrong? Yeah, what we wanted to do was kind of tell a story and bring out a new expression that ties in with kind of that Western feel and then also connect with AP Hodling, which we uh, we were formerly Anchor Distilling. And then when the brewery, uh, i.e. Anchor Steam, when that got purchased, uh, we had to change our name because they own the rights since they came first. So 
uh, we went back and forth and tried to figure out like a what connection that we could have to San Francisco without being cheesy, like Golden Gate distilling, you know? So we decided, hey, AP Holdling, he's kind of the guy that started it. So uh, AP Holdling was a, a very renowned, um, uh, I mean, he's called him a merchant in San Francisco uh, during the gold rush, late 1800s, uh, just leading up to prohibition. Uh, his whiskey, uh, right before the great earthquake, uh, around that time, the 18, 1850s, 1890s, uh, he was the, the number one seller in not only California, but he also had an outfit in Portland and even Australia. Wow. So he was a, a, a quite a successful businessman. A whiskey baron. If you uh, Google search deep enough, you cannot find a disparaging word about him. He was known as the fair dealer. And he also perfected, well, he perfected it, but he uh, nuanced uh, rectifying whiskey. So at the time, uh, if you're you know, a panhandler or on the West Coast, just there were people there that woke up with nothing better to do than find a way to take your money away from you, either gambling, swindling. So that translated to whiskey as well. So you had people that were sending whiskey over, very young whiskey, and they were adding plugs of tobacco, prune juice, any kind of crap to make it look old and, and seem uh, more precious. Uh, Mr. Holtling, he would take certain barrels, he would taste every barrel, and the one that he really liked was the J.H. Cutter brand that was uh, back from, uh, from Kentucky. And what Cutter did was he had barrels that were, uh, they were roughly uh, 70 gallons. I think it was 55 was a normal around there. His, his, uh, his barrels were longer and they had additional staves and uh, ropes and, um, and staves on them. And that, that had two, um, two meanings. You could easily identify a Cutter barrel and also, they were strong enough to withstand, I'm sorry, am I moving? To withstand the transportation from East Coast to West Coast. So it wasn't going on a train, it was going on a boat. So this was before the Panama Canal. So it was going all the way around the Horn. We'd stop in Peru. You get off the boat, you have a little Pisco. And that's also a, that's also a connection with, with San Francisco Pisco Punch. And then by the time it got to San Francisco, you had some really good whiskey, you know, going over the equator twice. But um, there were, uh, if, again, if you look at, uh, if you Google J.H. Cutter, you'll find several articles on litigation of him suing people that were trying to mimic his, his barrels. But his barrels were a sign of quality. And A.P. Hodling, that was his number one selling brand before he retired. Uh, the bottle was going for uh, upwards to $5 which at that time was uh, extreme, yeah. So- And what's the mash bill on the J.H. Cutter? So we've got 73% bourbon from Kentucky Bourbon Distillers. They have their own mash bill that, they're, uh, that they provide for us. 10% uh, Opetraro port finish that we just had. And then 17% Opetraro 18th century straight rye. So uh, a blend of those three. So this is to, to kind of mimic the process that was going on in the Wild West at the time. This is also a model of the cutter, cutter bottle. 
again, if you Google J.H. Cutter and hit Google Images, you'll see one million images of uh, the, the Cutter bottles. These go for auction from anywhere to 100 bucks to $5,000. You mean the original old ones? The original old ones, yeah. I wish this one. I wouldn't be here right now if it was so. Uh, so he had a picture of his cutter barrels, and then also he didn't invent this, but he popularized the embossing. Because when you were done with your bottle, you could always take it back to AP Hodling, and he would refill it there in, in San Francisco. And it also prevented uh, imitators, free refills, yeah. And then on the, we didn't have rights to the image. We're going to kind of redo it. It had an archangel on the top, and it said, death to imitators. So, words to live by. There is an address in Kentucky, and I can't, I've hit, I've hit a wall. I, I believe he was sourcing his bourbon because on his ad, it would say uh, importers and distillers, but I can't trace an actual distillery uh, specifically for G.H. Cutter. So I believe he was kind of a negotiant and he would rectify his whiskey uh, as well because that's where he gained its reputation. But that was very, very common. Even like Stitzel Weller, the, those folks were wholesaling whiskey all over the place and they encouraged people to have, uh, you know, private labels all over the country. That was really, before they were big boys, everyone was kind of wholesaling whiskey in Kentucky. We also were able to get uh, the license of Old Kirk uh, this is a work in progress. It won't be out in the next couple of years. But Old Kirk was actually the whiskey that was saved during the Great Earthquake. So a the AP Hodling building, that was God looking over his whiskey. We say God saved our whiskey. Uh, during the earthquake, um, most of the damage was actually caused by the earthquake. It was actually caused by Fire. the, the, the firemen. Actually, guys throwing dynamite in the buildings to try and make fire breaks and they were making it worse. So on two occasions, you had uh, fire teams trying to throw dynamite in the AP holding building and the manager came out and said, do not do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. And there was all this drama that ensued, but basically you had uh, longshoremen that they paid a dollar, uh, a dollar a day to move the barrels out into an adjacent lot. And uh, they actually saved that whiskey. Um, there was fire that was coming in on two different occasions that almost swept through that area, and it would have been a disaster. Uh, but uh, the winds changed, and that building still stands today on uh, Jackson Street. So go, go by and, and say hi. So everyone should have that J.H. Cutter in their hands. Stick your nose in that glass. Breathe in gently through your mouth. What do you guys think of this one? So a blend. Uh, everything that we've been tasting so far, I mean, not everything, but we've tasted the different components so far. Roasted chestnut. So that can come from that port barrel, I would think. Candied lemon. That's great. Say again? What did you say, Cherry? Churro. Churro. Oh, I love that. That's a great smell. Kumquat. These guys are making me hungry. Right? <laughs> we're we're going to have to bring some churros in churros here. Churros and <laughs> it's a maple. It's that time of year, right? Oh, wow. That's really nice. And this is this is uh, more affordable than the, the other two previous ones, right? What is the bottle price on the J.H. Cutter? Yeah, it's going to be about 49 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, 45 That's really great. What do you guys think of that J.H. Cutter? 
Quite delicious. Wow. Okay. Now that would be enough for a normal night at the Whiskey Society, right there, right? I could just, we could just call it good, send you guys home, do our bar jack lip service. You guys want to stop? Liquid churros. Well, it's a special night. We're we're closing out the year. This is our big blowout. Um, so now we're gonna jump all the way across the pond. So one of the things that like Maurice first started coming to the Whiskey Society years ago is when uh, at that time it was Anchor Distilling was starting to import the Nika line. So we're jumping across the pond. And Morris was the original champion of Nika on the West Coast. As far as my understanding of the Japanese whiskey world, you were the, the guy who was first turning people on to the wonderful Nika distillery, which, tell us a, a brief history about Nika and, and you know, why is it so near and dear to your heart? Um, I love it because of the history. I'm kind of like an old soul, but when you, I know most of you here know for the most part, the story of Mr. Takatsuru, uh, the father of Japanese whiskey. And uh, last Friday was his beloved wife, uh, Rita Takatsuru's birthday. Um, and we consider her the mother of, uh, of Japanese whiskey just because of her tenacity and strength. But uh, he, in 19, uh, 1917, left for Scotland to learn the secrets of making Japanese whiskey. Uh, real briefly, he took chemistry classes at the University of Glasgow because he treated, he thought his mindset, he treated whiskey as a science. He wanted to break it down to its uh, component parts. And it was uh, written that the distilleries that he would knock on the door to see to, to try and get an internship in, he would always ask if they had a microscope. And they all said no, with the exception of Hazelburn. So Hazelburn was the last, uh, distillery that he had a uh, internship in, and that's uh, a defunct distillery in Campbelltown. But that had the most impact on him, and he almost made the decision to stay in Campbelltown because uh, he was so in love with, uh, with what he had learned there. Uh, but the distiller there, the manager, actually had a microscope. So you had these two like minds. Uh, he went back uh, to, uh, to Japan with his wife, Rita, and a few years later, he went back to Scotland because his first whiskey that he made was called Shirofuda, white label, and it was actually a disaster. Um, he was so in love with Scotch whiskey. So at the time, Campbelltown was the capital of whiskey making. Uh, this was before the railroads, and basically the whiskey was being shipped because you didn't have the, the roads and the railroads. The railroads, uh, once they developed in Great Britain, that made everything more accessible in Speyside. So in Campbelltown, you had very smoky, briny, peaty whiskeys. So he got, when he went back to Japan, and he's like, well, that's what whiskey should taste like. The Japanese palate had a vote in the decision. And he said, no. So when he went back, uh, he learned how to just kind of refine uh, the process and how to make it more acceptable to the Japanese palate. Now, having said that, to this day, Nika whiskeys will taste the most like Scotch whiskey out of any Japanese whiskey, because he's always going to add a little bit of peat there, because he, he doesn't add peat 
just for the sake of adding peat, but he knows that that's your salt, that's your flavoring. So we've got the Yoichi Distillery, that's our masculine distillery. That was the first one built, and that's gonna be smoky, big. Uh, it's one of the few distilleries left on earth that does direct coal fire, and very labor intensive, and if you take your eye off the ball, you're gonna just destroy a batch of whiskey. So that's gonna give you those dark spots, those chocolatey notes on it. Then we have the Miyagikyo Distillery. That's more of the feminine, more industrial. That's more in line of a kind of a lowland style. And that's where we actually have our coffee still located there as well. So with those two, we've got, even with the uh, Miyagikyo Distillery, you're going to have a little bit of peat there, just as that, like the, uh, going back to Canadian whiskey, when you had the influence of the Northern Europeans and the Eastern Europeans, throw a little bit of rye in there in that mash bill. And Mr. Takatsuro is always going to throw in a little bit of peat uh, for the flavor components. So Stephanie's coming around now with uh, Nika from the barrel. If you've seen this bottle around, it can be a little hard to find, but it's definitely worth seeking out. It's this cool kind of square medicine style bottle. And this is different from any of the other expressions. How long has this been out now, the from the barrel expression? This has been out about... Not even six months, maybe about four months, four or five months. So yeah. the newest expression is potent, huh? Yeah, that's the first time I saw it was in Duty Free as well. Yeah. Um, but now it's available here in Southern California uh, in this beautiful uh, square medicine bottle. Nika from the barrel, the newest expression from Nika. So tell us. What's going on here? Is this a single barrel expression? No, so this is a uh, this is technically a blend of uh, single malt and single grain. And the concept is, the reason they did this bottle, uh, before I heard the story, I just assumed it was uh, when I used to rep the Glenrothes, you know, the Glenrothes bottle. Yeah. The, that's, to, that's like a, a There's a one scale, right here. There you go. That's a scaled up version of like the tasting bottles that they have in the, in the nosing room. So I, I thought it was the same concept. Actually, the blenders, they have a visual concept because um, they're nosing. And they wanted to create a whiskey that gave them the, that feeling that when, they, when they're in the nosing room and when they're blending and when they're in the rack house and that first whiff that you get. So they want bright, uh, heavier alcohol, but like a bold expression of whiskey. So this is to represent a block or a lump of whiskey, all right? So that's like, they want that first sip to be almost like a, like a chunk of whiskey in your mouth, just chewy and bold. Um, this is a blend of close to 100 samples of wow. uh, single malt from uh, Miyagikyo and Yoichi and also single uh, grain. I think Stephanie needs grain. that. <laughs> <laughs> you should try it, it's really good. So 100 different samples from the two different distilleries. From Yes, and you got some single grain, um, uh, coffee grain in there. Some, some grain whiskey then, and how small are these releases of the From the Barrel stock? So out of all the allocated products, the most allocated that we have are, are, is anything with an H statement. So that's the um, Takatsuro, like 17 and 21. Those are super hard to get. This has been more accessible until about two weeks ago when it got best whiskey in the world. 
So savor, savor that. Put some in your purse to go. <laughs> so we had the, the same phenomena. I had the same phenomena uh, a couple of years ago when the um, the Cavalon got best whiskey in the world and uh, woke up and I looked at my phone. And it's like, you have 32 voicemails and 87 texts. And they're all from people I haven't heard of, heard from or heard of in years. And it's like, hey, bud. Hey, just wonder if you got any more of that Cavalon around. <laughs> this, uh, Are so... you making fun of me right now? Yeah, Morris? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you were text number two, so. <laughs> so I had to sleep in a yeah. little. I think yeah, exactly, it was 545. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. uh, so what are you guys getting as you stick your nose in this glass? Nika from the barrel. Pineapple, vanilla, cotton candy. Those are beautiful notes. Do you know what the parts per million are on, what's your peatiest whiskey that Nika makes? Uh, they don't go too crazy. It's like 55 okay. parts per million. Yeah. Okay. That's like grilled pineapple. Grilled pineapple, beautiful. What else? What are you guys getting back here? Come on, just wait. I'm not gonna bring 10 whiskeys in if you guys are just gonna like cut out after four. <laughs> right? They're entranced. Leave yeah, them alone, right? they're in ecstasy. Okay, okay. Earthy. Okay, so like wet earth, like petrichor, or okay. So those earthy notes, you're definitely getting that from the Yoichi. You're getting kind of that uh, that forest floor. Stephanie, what are you getting on that one? Oh man, I like the grilled pineapple is just in my head already. I'm also getting a little bit of like pine nuts too. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting like a cedar mulch, a little tiny bit of like cedar mulch. So next year, we're having a taco truck right outside. You guys are killing me. I didn't eat yet. Damn. Grilled pineapple, yeah. Yeah, we got BS Taqueria yeah, right across the street. Get some lengua. Yeah. So you're going to hate this. There was, uh, oh, God, it was maybe three years ago, four years ago. Uh, Nika, they were, they were kind enough. They uh, allowed two of our... Um, employees to go to London for the world's 50 best bars. So uh, I was able to go on the first the first trip with one of our my counterparts, former counterpart. And uh, we were staying in Shoreditch in London. And I was looking at, okay, where's, where are the cool places to drink whiskey, Japanese whiskey? And then there was a place called um, Bull in a China Shop in Shoreditch. And all Japanese whiskey, that's all it is. All Japanese whiskey, and it's like an izakaya, and they have a uh, a chicken dish. It's a uh, a grilled uh, chicken, half chicken, and the sauce is it's a glaze that they make with the nika from the barrel. Whoa! Yeah. Whoa. So nice. their allocation is a little bit better than ours. So. Ah. <laughs> Just making sauce out of it. No Absolutely so. Wow. What I appreciate out of uh, everything that we currently import from Nika. This by far has the longest, longest dis, uh, finish on it. And uh, this will stand up to dilution. So even if you've got some somewhat crappy ice, it's not gonna destroy this whiskey. It's gonna, it's gonna hold up to that. I, I can't stand behind crappy ice, I'm no. sorry. Just really can't. You can't, no. What's the retail on it? Okay, so it's got, it's jacked up now. So, I mean, it's, you're 100 plus now, I mean, 
You can always like come try it here at the Bar Jackal. It's one of our standards on the bar top. And I, this is my favorite expression. Of yeah, the it's line. weird. When you get a special award like that, like the price kind of goes up for some reason. So. Amazing. Amazing. And speaking of huge awards, so Maurice, Maurice also brought in some of the Cavalon tonight, okay? And, I mean, this is a lot. Yeah. We're, we're, okay. we're kind of like hitting the ceiling here. Yeah, like, so this one, we can do one of two things. You can try it without, you know what? Let's pass on this one. Let me, let me encourage you to do this. After, after the tasting, I would encourage you to hydrate with a Cavalon uh, Distillery Select Highball. How many of you, just show of hands, how many of you are just normal or frequent highball consumers? Okay. Take the Nika, excuse me. The Cavalon. Scratch that, the Cavalon. It's all right. <laughs> Distillery Andrew, Select. Cutty Magoo, This no makes an amazing highball. What's the garnish? Yeah, what's the garnish? Uh, I've been doing mint. Yeah. Uh, but this... It's a little rounder, so let's maybe do lemon or orange. Yeah. So First. generally speaking, yeah. when you talk about a Japanese highball, it's a lighter cocktail. It's not as alcohol forward as say something like an Old Fashioned or a Manhattan. We here at Seven Grand, we make the highballs one part Japanese whiskey, three parts high quality soda water, a hand cut piece of ice, uh, either a citrus zest or Maurice is recommending mint on this one. But it's, it's a lighter cocktail. You should be able to have a few of them without getting super drunk. Yeah, yeah. this is, uh, since you guys have been like teasing me with food, this, <laughs> with the highball, it's cream soda. It just, it brings out all like just those, just chewy esters from, from the alcohol. This is now our official entry level. So very affordable. This will be anywhere between 42, 45, depending on your retailer. Uh, but that's a great one. So uh, Taiwan, much like Japan, is uh, heavily whiskey consumers, right? So, you know, in Asia, you have this thing about saving face. So in Japan, I, for, I keep forgetting what day it is. I, I, always, I always think it's like Friday or Saturday. There's a specific day where all the salarymen get together and they have dinner. Okay, so it's an extended dinner. And actually, Nea, when Nea was repping, he, he told me about this. I guess the, the last two people are the vice president and the president. And I believe the, the vice president is responsible for paying the tab and to make sure that the president is safely in a cab on his way home. <laughs> so you're like, that sucks to be the vice president. And he says, no, it's a write-off. It's like, no big deal. So the whole concept is that's the one time you can get together as salarymen and the subordinate can speak somewhat frankly to their superior. Now... How well is that going to go if you're just having just straight whiskey in, over three hours? Yeah, you're not going to be a salary man for very long because I eat salary men. Um, so I thought that was just brilliant, and that just shows you the way that I can still be enjoy my whiskey and stay employed. So uh, get into the highball culture; it'll it'll serve you well. So. Right, but we're not going to whip out a bunch of highballs now. You guys can come do a little bar jack club seating later. Have one with me after the show. We'll okay, do all right. After we, the show. <laughs> See, we're going to get you to sing exactly, yet. Yeah. It's going to happen. <laughs> getting, see, yeah. All right, so now this actually may be the first time for a lot of you to try something. We've got a, a whiskey that I haven't even tasted this. So 
Dingle. Tell us the story we about Dingle. We just partnered with Dingle. Um, apparently, they're the first independent uh, Irish whiskey distillery to make triple uh, pot stilled whiskey. Uh, they're making their own juice and not selling it to the or sourcing it out to the big guys. So as soon as it was about four years ago, when they started producing their whiskey, all of a sudden you had this big renaissance now in, in Ireland making whiskey. Now you've got all these amazing vodkas and gins coming out of uh, Ireland. And soon to follow, you're going to have a lot of, because obviously you make the whiskey and the vodka to buy you time while your whiskey's uh, aging. Um, triple pot stilled. They are in Dingle, the town of Dingle. Uh, I believe it's in County Cork. And they're on the far western edge of Europe. So they have a specific microclimate, very, uh, I would say it would be similar to what we were talking about uh, with um, Pike Creek mm -hmm. in Canada. So you've got different weather patterns, different atmospheric pressures that are uh, affecting the whiskey, a lot of humidity. So the whiskey is young, so three years and change. Uh, we're gonna have older expressions as, you know, it is a new distillery. Uh, but having said that, when we get to the 10, 12, 15 year category, when we get to that point, you're still gonna have a very light and ethereal whiskey because of where it's being aged. Uh, this is a marriage of the Dingle new make that's been aged in both bourbon and port barrels. This is uh, their batch three. Yeah. Okay, that's a great question. So traditionally, whiskey was originally made in a pot still. And I've got one out on the back patio here. We use it for demonstration purposes. But essentially, it's a big copper pot that you would, about the size you'd make a big batch of soup in. And then it's got a lid on it with a cylinder, um, an, an, a line arm off of it, which then goes into what we call a worm tub, where it recondenses. So you're, you're using this little pot to boil the alcohol off of a beer, or if you were in Southern Europe, it would have been off of, brand, uh, off of wine, which would have made brandy. In Northern Europe, they made whiskey out of beer. In Southern Europe, they made brandy out of wine. But you recapture the alcohol vapor coming off, cool it back down, and then you get a distillate. You do that twice, and you've got whiskey. Um, but it's just, a, it's essentially a copper pot. Now, in the 1820s, they came up with a column still, which is essentially a bunch of pot stills squished on top of each other in a cylinder. So they were able to create a continuously running still, which represented the industrialization of whiskey making. So before that, it was kind of farmers making it one batch at a time. And then in the 1820s, they went big, and that's when Irish whiskey started getting out into the world, and they were using a column still. Well, it really took off in Scotland more than Ireland initially, but that allowed you to kind of run it 24-7 and really make a ton of whiskey. But the old world style would have been one batch at a time, one copper pot, like you make a pot of soup. When you're done, you got to clean out the pot and start at your next batch. But that's, in essence, what the, the pot still is. Yeah, and then Ireland's known for column distillation. That's why it's very light. Column distillation allows you to make uh, your whiskey in one pass, and depending on the the plates, so basically the copper plates, every time the, uh, the alcohol rises to a new plate, it's hitting copper, and copper strips away sulfur, 
it takes out the bad stuff, but also takes away congeners and esters, and those are like our flavor agents. So that's a good thing, but if you make a very light, light, light ethereal whiskey, you're losing a lot of flavor. It may be smooth, mellow, but you're losing a lot of uh, what God meant you wanted you to taste in, in the whiskey. So there's, there's peaks and valleys with, uh, uh, with column distillation. So pot distillation gives you, it's less efficient, it's more time consuming, but it leaves in a lot more of those uh, flavor agents, those esters and congeners. So matter of taste. And, and the Irish style, I mean, the Irish actually resisted, although the, the column still was originally invented by an Irishman, the Irish <laughs> industry as a whole stuck to the pasto for a number of years. It actually took off in Scotland, and then it was only until kind of the collapse of the Irish whiskey um, economy that it, they came, came around and started really getting big with the column still use. And now Irish whiskey really is defined by that column still style, a lighter, easy sipping style of whiskey with a, with a good amount of column still distillate, a blended whiskey, which is what we have here. Yep. But this is all pot still, no all column pot still. All pot still is not blended, yeah. No, no, not a blend then. So stick your nose in the glass, some breathe in still. gently through your mouth, tap some of this whiskey over your tongue. What are you guys getting? This should be like, kind of like a, a breaking point. And with everything we've done so far, this is a chance to kind of reset your palate a little bit, something a little lighter, and it's going to propel us toward our infinity bottles here shortly. Yes. But this, this is a way you can kind of cleanse your palate with a lighter, a lighter fl flavor profile. What are you guys getting? Buttered popcorn, what? Champagne, wow. Fresh currant. Raisin, I'm getting a nuttiness on this too, almost like a cashews. Star fruit, wow, okay, all right, I like that. You definitely get the cereal notes from the grain. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really cool. So a new Irish whiskey on the market. Very good. And this is Irish single malt. Single malt, yep. So very atypical in the modern era. Most, Almost all the Irish whiskeys we're getting are not single malts. They're blends. But this is a true Irish single malt from a new distillery right in Southern Ireland. Triple pot still. Triple pot still. So check that out. Definitely grab a bottle of that for your home bar if you're an Irish whiskey fan. Uh, fun fact, how many people go to New York, going to New York? Someone? If you're going to New York in the next year or so, stop by, it's in the financial district. It's uh, uh, Francis Tavern. It's spelled weird, but it's like one of the Old uh, old taverns where we conspire to, to defeat the British, just like uh, the ones in uh, in, in Boston. Um, not too far from Wall Street, but it's got a it's got a pub, and in between the pub and the restaurant, there's a little mini bar in there, and uh, it's called the Dingle Bar. <laughs> and Dingle bought that bar in Francis Tavern, so they've got uh, they've got a few other expressions. The Dingle Bar, yeah. Don't make fun of it. It's their, it's their town. <laughs> no, I think it's a really... Why? Do you have anything to <laughs> So, yeah, and this represents kind of the forefront of the craft distilling movement in Ireland. So here in Southern California, we've seen a huge boom all over America of craft distillers. That's starting to happen in Ireland more. There's a ton of new licenses happening in Ireland for new craft distilleries. These guys are some of the first ones to bring it here. And you are some of the first people in Los Angeles to try this new Irish whiskey expression. So. Beautiful stuff. So still a small distillery and definitely some craft distillery prices there. 
If you want the whiskey, then I'll give you a tingle. You gotta ah. have a spot of the dingle. Ah. I think I got a little Irish, Scottish, and Aussie on the back end on that, so I need to work on it. Wow. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Mom. So before we get into the uh, the infinity bottles, the super crazy rare uh, collection, we're going to try some of the Hodling's 11 here. Now this is yeah. this is some really super special rare. whiskey. Super hard to get your hands on. This is the only bottle I've actually seen. Wow. Okay, so stick your nose in this glass. 11 years, is there any other cask besides uh, bourbon cask on this? Is there any Just bourbon cask, yeah. Just, just bourbon cask. So this is just strictly uh, the age, because uh, our old Petrero is basically four and a half to five years old. So we have very, we do a very limited release of older age expressions. I think the oldest I've seen was a 16 year old uh, a few years ago. So, yeah, what else? What else are you guys getting on this 11 year old? Clean laundry. Clean laundry. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's legit. Say again? Mint. Mint and clove, okay. Papaya. Tannin. That's great. Rice candy. Rice candy, wow. Say again? Wintergreen. Winter yeah, I get. So tap it over your tongue. And before you guys, before we get into the infinity bottlings, guys, I, I wanted to thank you on behalf of all the folks at Seven Grand, the folks here in the Bar Job Globe, Stephanie and myself, uh, Andrew, who's our podcast producer, for being a part of the Whiskey Society. We try to create a nice family here, a place where people can learn more about whiskey and in a non-judgmental atmosphere. We try to hold space for everyone to be able to kind of like even the playing ground by becoming more knowledgeable about the spirits that they love. So thank you for being a part of our family. Cheers to you. Cheers to you. And uh, we know sometimes... <laughs> oh, come on. Come on now. I don't want to start crying now. Uh, no, but we know that also the holidays can be kind of tough times for folks, but just know that you all can come here and have a little sweetness, have a little refuge from all of that as well. If you need, we got your back here. So don't be strangers through this time, all right? All right. Thank you. So this 11-year-old, this is beautiful stuff. Cheers to you guys. Thank you. I mean, you could talk all day about expensive whiskeys, rare whiskeys, but nothing gets more into the world of strange and unique than these infinity bottlings, which are essentially people like you or I just kind of making blends at home. And so this is Maurice playing around with the idea of what it means to be a master blender. The first infinity bottling, he brought two different infinity bottlings tonight. <laughs> Which just proves that there's more than one universe, right? We have two separate infinities. So. Uh, into the Spider-Verse. All right. Uh, wow, wow. I mean, dark alert! People love it. People exactly. Love it. it must be good, right? Uh, but Stephanie's coming around with the first of our two infinity bottlings tonight. So... 
Maurice, tell us now, this was your first experiment. This is your kind of like, you want to show people what a blend is all about. Actually, so tell us what's in this first bottle coming around. Well, what I want to, let me tell you how this whole started. So before I got in the industry, I was in advertising for about 15 years. And I started doing, I, I really started getting into to whiskey, like single malts. And I was fortunate enough to live throwing distance from high time wine cellars in Costa Mesa. And that's where I kind of like cut my teeth. And uh, I would do every October, like three years in a row, I would do a, what I call a Scotchtoberfest. So I'd have some clients over to my house and I'd pour my own whiskey that I bought at high times and I'd just cook some food. So I was uh, probably on my fourth Scotchtoberfest. So about a week before that, I was at high times getting some wine for my wife's best friend because it was her birthday. And she goes, she likes Zinfidel, just get a bottle of Zinfidel, no talking, just get the bottle of Zinfidel and get back, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. So I go in and then I see this guy at a booth repping Talisker and he's in full kilt and it was uh, our old friend Rick Edwards back in the day. So he goes, hey man, do you, want to, you like Talisker? You wanna try something? I'm like, I hate you right now. So I gave my car, I'm like, please, get, Give me your card. I want to talk to you. I can't try any Talisker right now because I want to stay married. Just, I want to talk to you about something. So he gave me his card. I emailed him the next day. I said, hey, here's the deal. I'm doing this party. I'd love to have you over as my guest just to have your expert expertise. So that was, was that part of Diageo, Talisker? They had the whole, the that world was, of whiskeys. Yeah, that's right? the Masters of Malt. Masters of Malt, Masters of Malt. So, this was at towards the end of the month, so I I wasn't expecting him to come by. And then he actually he came by, and it was at the end of the month, so any whiskey he had left over, he could do as he pleased. So instead of cracking open any of my whiskeys, he did a whole like Masters of Malt presentation what? at my house. It was awesome. So uh, we were talking like, what do you what do you do like when you're done with it? He goes, either I, I drink it, but I. I Sometimes I'll pour them together and like when I have my friends over, like I'll give it to them and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like, what, what, which one is this? And he's like, Glenn bullshit. You know, I just like, right. <laughs> so fast forward a couple of months, uh, some things happened where I had the opportunity to reinvent myself. I ended up in the spirits industry. So I started with a company called Price Imports. So they had brands like the beautiful Springbank. Glendronic, Ben Riek, uh, uh, Murray McDavid. They had all the, uh, all, all kind of crazy in, independent ones. Uh, Duncan Taylor, yeah, Duncan Taylor. So not only did I have like amazing things from Springbank and Glendronic, I had all these rare and old whiskeys from Duncan Taylor that when I was done with a sample, I'd have like an ounce or two and I just like, well, let's just pour it in the vat here. So fast forward nine years, my wife said, you need to do something with all this shit. Because <laughs> I had, I started batting it all together and had all these bottles, so then we had the Infinity Collection. So since last year, there have been four additional whiskeys added to the Infinity Collection, and it looks a little something like this. Wow. Yeah, so I'm gonna pass this list around. We have the two different Infinity bottlings. 
he wanted to demonstrate kind of like the what the blender brings to the table here. Yeah, I was listening. I, I can't remember which uh, which distiller, but I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about blends and what <laughs> grain whiskeys bring to the table. So again, when we had um, when I was with Price Imports, when we had uh, Duncan Taylor. They had some really cool older expressions from North British and Cameron Bridge, some of the old, uh, the old uh, grain distilleries in Scotland. So that goes into a lot of the, not all, all the blends, and the Scottish blends. And the person was saying that what grain whiskey does is it acts as your palate. All your malt is the paint, the colors that you use. And that grain whiskey up, uplifts it, okay? It's the spine of it, yeah. So it lets all those malts show their their identity. Whereas if you just have malt for malt's sake, it's gonna be all bass. So it's like that scene in Spinal Tap, they're all playing bass. <laughs> big, big bottoms, it's a, still a cool song, but you could use like a lead guitar, right? So it's all So this is one third Nika coffee grain. And then the uh, other two thirds is infinity. So I thought at the one third proportion, you really start to see the different components come out. So cheers. Cheers. Yeah, so tap some over your tongue and then like, tell me what you're experiencing. This is a crazy chance. A whole bunch of stuff going on in here. Hundreds of different whiskeys in this bottle. And then Nika coffee grain as the, the spine or the, the base. Guys on this, after the first sip, please add water. I can't even, t I, I can't even imagine what the proof is on this. Do not take this in the back and smoke a cigar. Like, keep it, this is like really high proof. So please add a drop at least. Wow, what are you guys getting on this uh, first Nika coffee grain with some infinity bottles? What, what, what comes to mind? Barbecue? Yeah, yeah. Kim, you were saying seaweed. You were getting some seaweed in there? I got seaweed and kumquat. Oh, wow, beautiful. That seaweed, that's definitely coming from the 32 expressions of Springbank. You know, that's that briny. And then the wow. Royal Lochnagar comes in, right? Right. <laughs> wow, amazing, amazing stuff. So definitely something to try at home. If you've got a lot of bottles, make your own little blend. If you want one of mine, it retails at $8,000. So to start. <laughs> exactly, I will. I'll sign it. Right? It's not coming to market ever, ever. There's no less than an ounce of any expression that you have here. When, once I started making this a thing, I started adding, like, waiting till it got down to, like, at least three ounces. So, uh, and then every year I'll, it's a big project. I'll, I'll go and I'll revat it together. Because this is basically, or just put it back together. The one that we just had, one third of that, the one that we just had, the one third of that is strictly Nika coffee green. And then it's topped off with the infinity juice that you're having now, straight. This is oh, straight infinity juice. So that list that is being passed around, in one bottle is mixed with the Nika, Nika coffee green, and in the other is just on Yeah, so the coffee green was just an experiment to show what green whiskey, how it amplifies the different components. 
where my assumption will be that this is going to be you're going to have you're going to struggle a little bit more to, to get those different components. It's still going to be a fun ride, but. <laughs> Maurice, you said that a lot of that was a lot of spring bank in here. It was was, it, was mm -hmm. that right? Okay. Okay. That's and by spring bank, that's also a different spring bank expressions, as well as long grow and a little bit of hazel burn in there. Okay. So you do have some green whiskey in here. So you 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 do have uh, the Nika coffee grain as well as the Nika coffee malt. Uh, the other grain components, coffee malt's not uh, coffee malt's from the coffee still. The other grain components would be uh, from Cameron Bridge and North British uh, from Duncan Taylor. Uh, those are the two that come to mind. There may be another uh, single grain in there, but that's very, very little single grain in this. This is 99% malt. And there's no bourbons in here? No bourbons. It's no all bourbons. single malt. Oh, the okay. only deviation, okay. the only deviation would be single malt from a different country. So there's some Cabalon single malt. There's some Nika single malt. Uh, there's some Westland single malt. Wow. And then the newest addition is the uh, the New Zealand single malt, the 18-year-old Amaruvian. Wow. Yeah, like the uh, Amaruvian from uh, New Zealand. Yeah. Hey, we had a question over here. Yes. I'm sorry. So coffee grain. Okay. No. Coffee? Uh, we had same same question from two parts of the room. Okay. Just to be clear, uh, coffee. That's named for Aeneas coffee. There's no actual coffee grain. There's no coffee like we drink coffee in the morning. It's spelled C-O-F-F-E-Y. For Aeneas coffee, who's an Irish tax man who was one of the few people who had access to the different distilleries during that time of the Irish industrialization of the whiskey boom, in which these different distilleries were very close closely guarding their different stills, these gigantic pot stills. But the tax man was allowed to go into each one of these different distilleries, and he copped the idea from several other experiments that he had seen in different distilleries and patented the first column still. That was called the coffee still, named for himself. He did not invent it. He just was the first guy to get a patent on it because he was privy to information that a lot of other individuals didn't have because they weren't allowed to go into all those different distilleries. But as a tax man, he did have access to all those dis different distilleries. So Aeneas Coffee, the father of the column still. The column still is sometimes just called the coffee still. But if you're getting coffee notes, you're not wrong. <laughs> so in short, Pedro always has me wrap up with a cheers. So I, 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 I just always kind of do shoot from the hip. So. I consider I was kind of I grew up in the 70s, so I remember Polaroid pictures. Oh yeah. So those are a snapshot. Uh, my hair was longer back then, so <laughs> I consider this a snapshot of my almost 10 years in the industry. So may 10 years from now we all be here and have that list twice, two pages long. <laughs> and in short, happy holidays and to the infinity. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. 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 Yeah.
Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember. Maurice! 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 I can't sing Thank Heavens for Little Girls. I don't want to go to jail because you can't sing that song anymore. (laughs) Cheers, Cheers, guys. Love you guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you.